I thought some people just aren't comfortable, but I wanted to go, what did you think to that? <laughs> nice dick. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to, but uh, fortunately, there was somebody getting in the car next to me. And welcome everybody to season two, episode three of the End Podcast. I am your host, Matt, aka Marvel Spank on all platforms, and with me today is my glorious co-host, Tim. How are you this week, Tim? Matt, pleasure to be here. I'm doing great. I'm a little bummed to have to talk about this movie, which I did not <laughs> yeah. love. You and um, me both, my man. I did not hate this movie, but I did not love it, but I'm delighted to talk to you. Well, good. Well, no spoilers, but we, this week, are going to be talking about Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi. <laughs> but before we get started, just a little bit of housekeeping to get out of the way. We are on all platforms. That is SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, usually with the handle, the end underscore pod. I will try and remember to put some timestamps in this one. However, there isn't much other than Shang-Chi to talk about this week, so it will be a singular timestamp. There will be language, there will be spoilers, so if you are easily offended, then please continue to listen, because that brings me great pleasure. <laughs> if I know that something I have said is going to upset someone to the point of displeasure, then I'm doing half of my job right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I've split my notes into the three acts, if you're happy to go along with it that way. Yes, that sounds good. But before we go, let's have a general talk without spoilers, just off the off the cuff, instant not instant reaction. I was so underwhelmed. I can't believe. I actually feel like I want to know why people love this. Ninety nine percent audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I, I want to know why. Like I'm genuinely confused. What people are seeing in this? Mm -hmm. I was so bored so bored for probably at least this whole of the second act first act was good but i felt like i'd seen a bit of it before but it just had that hong kong martial arts twist final act there were so many but why moments but why but how but what if that then why didn't this or my initial reaction was that the movie was fine there are things i did like about it we can get into I, I agree that the second act especially really dragged. So I found it kind of boring and just kind of interminable. It was, it was, it was too long by <clears throat> probably 20 to 25 minutes, in my opinion. And that could have been cut out of second. And I, I don't know whether my kind of just tepid reaction to it is having seen it in the context of the other Marvel films. Like, if this were just a standalone like martial arts movie, I probably would have liked it considerably more than I did. Mm. But because it's part of the MCU and stacking it up against, you're inevitably going to stack it up against things that have come in the MCU in the past, especially like just like we talked about 
in the last couple of weeks, Black Widow, which I really liked quite a bit. I think it struggled with its identity. I think it struggled to reconcile the Hong Kong Kung Fu with the MCU. I th- and I think if you take out very specific beats to make it fit in the MCU... I don't want to get into like Eternals or anything, but I think when you're, get- when you're driving for indie directors and you're saying we have to do X amount of set pieces and you have X amount of script, you can get something like this, which is very disjointed. Even going so far as like to talk about the ways in which it's disjointed, the movie can't even decide who the main character is, I don't think. Is Absolutely the main character, agree. You know, is it Wen Wu, the big bad, or is it uh, Shang Chi, the the hero? I mean, we can get into how those characters are portrayed, but the movie can't really even decide who the principal is in this in this film. I don't think. As an audience, for me, it was Wen Wu because Simu Liu was tepid, whereas Wen Wu, character wise, was sapid, full of flaving. Mm-hmm bursting yes. the tones and here's the difference between a guy that's only obnoxiously been ended in king's convenience and a guy that is 30 years of hong kong cinema cinema chinese yeah. cinema the guy's done romantic comedies he's been an action lead he's been in kung fu films when he's walking through that shop with his son like he's going into fucking Walmart and he's just walking through like, I'm going to fucking kill you all. I'm going to kill yeah. you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill every motherfucker up in here. Yeah. But he's still taciturn, rigidly. Like it's fucking nothing. That quiet reserve that brings its own power and fear. Whereas Simu Lu was just yeah. dull. Yeah, and I don't know whether it's a performance issue or it's a on the page issue, maybe a combination of the two. Mm. Uh, but it was just conspicuous to see how dynamic uh, the Wen Wu character is as compared to the Shang Chi character. I just thought it was like too too conspicuous. It was too much of a divergence. They there. spent the whole of the first act developing Wen Wu and gave him so much depth. Is a sympathetic uh, antagonist now an MCU trope? Because like it's, Thanos. <laughs> yeah, Thanos. The Red Room. Uh, it's not Falcon. Who's the other bird? Vulture. It's Vulture, wasn't Vulture. It? Yeah, yeah Vulture, Vulture. I'm just doing it for my family. I'm just misunderstood. Uh, Killmonger. Yeah. Um, Baron Zemo. And there's, I think there's a difference between sympathetic and motivations because I don't think anyone was sympathetic to Baron Zemo until they saw him dancing. And that man can cut some rug. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> Why can't we just have a villain that just wants to get rich or just wants power? Or if we're gonna have a depth care, if we're gonna have a depth character, the, the the lead should match that in some way. Like there shouldn't be mm. such, a dis, such a disjointed portrayal of the two characters. I mean, I, and I, I, like I said, I don't know whether this is an issue of being on the page, an issue of the performances, but I mean, like the Tony Leon, the Wenwu, like you said, he's got thirty yeah. years of all sorts of genre films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's obvious he's been a leading man. I mean, it's so clear yeah. what he's capable of doing. I, I mean, I do like the complex, motivated, sympathetic villain. I think that that lends yeah. depth in a way which, you know, a lot of the DC movies don't have. Can I ask you a question, yeah. Tim? How realistic is that, though? Because if we look at villainy in the real world, if we look at terrorists, if we look at, if we look at crook politicians, do they really have motivations? Or is it... Is it just caliphate? Is it just power? Is complex villains actually realistic? This is just off the top of my head, so I'm sorry if that yeah. sprung. My guess is they probably are, 
pretty. I, I, my guess is they do have depth of, of some kind. I'm, I don't know if they're sympathetic, but I mean the way we understand villains now in the real world, we're not we're not given that depth of character. We're just told this is a terrorist or this is some Very kind of true. fucking asshole, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. the way they're portrayed, and we have no way of knowing otherwise. But if yeah, you were I've... to get into their story, I suspect there'd be some. Yes. complex even sometimes sympathetic motivations there yes yes possibly yes. yeah i mean look at uh wanda and pietro mm. well that's good because you've just you've just made me not look like a racist <laughs> <laughs> thank you i mean as soon as the words came out of my mouth i thought i've got i've got a killer question here just you <laughs> fucking wait you cunt <laughs> And then, after I said it, I went, yeah, that could totally be taken out of context. <laughs> should probably dial it back a bit with the, with the amount that I'm not sympathetic to Simu Lu. But at the same time, I just feel, if you're going to talk the talk, you, you've got to be able to walk the walk. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I, didn't I mean, in this film. Well, what do you think of the Aquafina character? I, I think she was... I. Well, I tell you what, I tell you what. Let's let's have at the actual dissection of the film because that's quite intrinsic to to how I feel that it passed through the three acts. To start with that in the first act, I think she was great. She was a great sidekick. She was almost she was the call to adventure in herself before the call to adventure because yeah, yeah. she was a catalyst. She was a good setting character like she set the world in which he was a part of because obviously his history would be piece by piece unraveled as in flashbacks as it went on her and her family set the world in which this operated in the first act and to be fair to them i was critical of it not necessarily being diverse because it was an american asian uh, cast not asian mm -hmm. it was americans in a film directed and produced by americans and also by an American studio. However, this owned being an American Asian film from the off. And I think what it did was give cultural insight into what being American Asian was immediately. Fair play to you, kudos. Because the, the big criticism that I perceived that this might have, you've just cut that off immediately. Straight away, mm -hmm. you said, we're American Asians. This is what American Asian culture is like. And I liked it. I, I liked that aspect of it. And I liked what she did in the first act, that's for sure. Yeah, I have nothing really to add to that. I would just be restating what you stated, other than to say I liked her too. I do feel like maybe I'm getting a little bit overexposed. You know, she it seems like yeah. she's in like, like every other film that's released, she's in. But I really did like her for the most part in this. Although I thought some of like the con once you get past the first act, the comic relief and, and it it's largely comes from her was a little yeah. perfunctory i just didn't think it landed mm. like most of the communists did not move me at all but i thought she was really really charismatic in the first act especially when you have a very precious precocious relationship like that why that wasn't used in the battle can you imagine she's fucking popping motherfuckers with that bow and arrow and by the yeah. way why is bow and arrow such a trope in eastern films yeah do they not have netflix i've i've seen i've seen enough films guys i've seen enough films you, you see <laughs> you see how these white folk like to do us <laughs> the, the arrows are coming everybody get your shields up get your shields up what do you mean we don't have shields 
like or just get some netting to go over it like <laughs> like right. seriously it's such a trope and it's the same like it's a very disney thing as well like mulan rayo the last dragon <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but yeah like can you imagine she's popping people right left and center with the bow and arrow wow like i'm a natural at this all of a sudden she takes one in a non-specific place by the shoulder so she's not dying but then it puts shang chi into a thing is her old life or this new life more important like can you imagine that snyderverse slow-mo of course it's raining as well and something's on fire somewhere (laughs) (laughs) which is like the biggest contradiction of how he does things everything's (laughs) on fire and it's fucking raining (laughs) (laughs) so like (laughs) so and then it's around looking over his shoulder and then, like, his body then moves around even slower to meet his face. And he's looking back at his dad as he's about to punch with the ten rings to get through the dragon scales to release the beast. And she's like, no, Sean. But, oh, oh, no, no. And this is it, right? The whole film, she can't get his name right. The whole <laughs> film. And yeah. then she says, no, Sean. That's more important. What a what a bollocks in your fucking belly moment that would have been. Do you know what yeah. I mean? The film in the first act sets up so much, but it doesn't use it to any effect. Like it feels like the whole first act was foreshadowing mm-hmm. that never sh- shadowed anything. It was just yeah. all four. Yeah. <laughs> it was similar with the sister. Like she's just an, another set of legs on the battlefield. Yeah, the sister raises an interesting kind of like weird thing about the moral calculus of the film. So, for instance, um, we're meant to think that uh, Wen Wu was abusive for putting Shang-Chi through all that training when he was a kid. Yeah. But then we're also supposed to think that he's like misogynistically abusive for declining to put the sister through the same thing. (laughs) Well, well, which is it? Yeah. I think that's why there's a bit of a dichotomy between different parts of the films. They are trying this whole Hong Kong Kung Fu, but you're also trying to weave in the lightheartedness of the MCU. Yeah. And then, yep. and then you have to have the final set piece. It was almost like they said, first act, this is our MCU opening, but we're mm. going to put in some, some, some wicked fight scenes in it. Second act, that's all going to be indie. And then the third act, that's just going to be set piece because we're not splicing it in and you need your 45 minutes but we can't give you that in the final act so you're going to have to just direct the middle of the film that's when you get control of it also in the first act i think the best fight choreography happened the cinematography was very hit and miss but what it did in the first act was the camera position and the scrolling especially on the scaffolding fight especially on the bus fight was on point the way it moved through the scene and it was very close-up shaky cam without the shaky cam if you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah and i think that was lost completely in the final act within 10 minutes he's broken cover did he do it a little bit easy yeah the first sign of trouble he was like okay fuck yeah it, let's i go mean I guess so. It, was a, it definitely was abrupt. I'll say that. There was no attempt to hide that at any point. Nobody has any inkling whatsoever. Any chink in the armor, right? He just gives the whole ballgame up. Yeah, completely. That bus scene was so cool. The one thing was kind of interesting. I don't know. Was he in one of the post-credit scenes? Am I, am I mixing that up? The post-credit scene comes when Wong appears and takes yeah. them into the room. It wasn't Professor Hulk. It was Banner. And it, it was an old-looking Banner as well. They intentionally grade him up. I think there was dating apps for people that have come back after the blip. The grey hair wouldn't have 
canonically fit anyway, would it? It was very clear that Banner had aged. Mm. So that was the first clue. And the one thing that really stuck out to me in that little scene where Captain Marvel, she kind of like, oh, I got to take care of this and kind of just blips off the, yeah, off yeah. the screen, just like she did in, uh, was it Endgame she did that? She kind of yeah, like yeah. just did the entire movie and I was like, okay, wink and a nod or something or it's sort of like maybe cliched at this point that she does that. Yeah, I took it as like, you know how Batman does it to Commissioner Gordon? We don't even know how far down the line that the restaurant scene was from the comings and goings. That right. was a really cool scene though. The two characters palling around. And what I hope they don't do is they make it romantic because the chemistry of just having them platonic. And I couldn't really tell towards the end like whether it was. Like, was it transitioning? from platonic to something romantic like weren't they they're holding hands at one point or at least she's got her head on his shoulder and i yes. wasn't sure if we yes. were meant to think something had changed when they went the trauma of the third act like did mm. that spark something and i i think it's meant to be ambiguous at the end personally i mean people can love each other yeah but i don't think a man and a woman can be can be friends and if you're a man or a woman listens to this and you're thinking oh yeah but my mate dave dave's in love with you <laughs> Dave's thinking about fucking you. All right, no, 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 I've no Tracy, me old fucking laugh, mate. You're not in love with them? It's them. <laughs> if you can emotionally stick it out with somebody for that amount of time, there's a yeah, connection there. Like, like, <laughs> there's certain things that are true to life. You already have a relationship with somebody, you care about someone, and you go mm. through a trauma um, like they went through, something is, has changed there. Ross and Rachel situation whereby there's always oh. external agents but they're never but it's just like oh for god's sake <laughs> yeah. just speak to each other <laughs> <laughs> right. the MCU typically like there's not a lot of romance there was one part the Wenwu character right goes to the village he meets his wife for the first time they fight that it was out beautiful it was an amazing scene and the beautiful. only thing that that yeah, it was, it was great. And the only thing that I didn't like about it, halfway through when they transitioned from a kind of fighting to a dancing, right? A yeah. choreography of a kind, kind of swelling music in the background. They do the close-up to the face, like something changed. And I was like, ooh, that was just taking me out of it a little bit, which you don't typically see in the MCU. Yeah, yeah. Um, with the family dynamic, you know when there's a happy family at the beginning, he's giving up everything, giving up his crime around this little village lady who he's hopelessly in love with. The family are all there together. One of those motherfuckers is going to die. Something has to change for him to change. When they're getting out the board games, they should know one of them's as good as fucking dead. They need to start, they need to start arguments. <laughs> <laughs> one of them no 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 guys guys someone fucking start an argument if there's a kid slamming doors in the first act without question he is making it to the final scene him and his dad are gonna end up saving the day together because it yeah. was happy families one of those motherfuckers had to die <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> uh, so second act second act Tim this is where it fell apart for me in a yeah. big big way I tweeted, I fell asleep twice. What I realized in hindsight is I was awake twice. <laughs> and people will probably say, well, if you were fucking asleep, then how the hell can you tell if it was boring? Well, I, I was not asleep and I barely, like I can't even define the contours of the second act exactly. It's like just an amorphous blob. It all felt very unnecessary. It didn't increase the threat or the peril of the final act. It was, it just, provided more character too much um, dialogue and even worse too much duo log exposition designed as dialogue the flashbacks in the second act really robbed the movie of momentum anytime the movie got some momentum going forward we had a flashback and it just like killed it 
And that, that backstory yeah. stuff's interesting for reveals, but it does it does hurt momentum in an act that's already pretty slow. Just get to the final act. We're going to be in the little village and there's going to be a big fight. There was a point where I physically had to stop myself with just standing up and saying, just, yeah. just fucking skip to when we've been there already. Yeah, and how hard was it for, for Shang-Chi to get there? Like, it was, they had to wait for a specific moment with that little Furby character. Right. And then the other right, guys right. just turn up. Although I have to say that that um, forest labyrinth thing was kind of cool. Yeah, it looked good, didn't it? That did look it good. It really looks really good. But yeah, it was definitely interminable to get them to that final. Trevor Slattery. I liked that he was in it because it was a nod. They definitely said in All Hail the King that the Mandarin wanted to speak to him. But then when Wu completely dispossessed himself of that moniker saying it was what the west gave him and they named him after an orange so Mm -hmm. i think that's the way it went anyways i felt finding him in the prison cell was enough how that fed into the final act was just bizarre yeah yeah i just didn't see a point beyond if he's going to make a cameo in that respect like in the prison cell that's one thing but i didn't feel like the character served any purpose either character wise or plot wise going forward other than to have morris who's the one who gets them through the maze but you you could do that there's a million ways you could have accomplished that you don't have to have that character for 45 like 50 minutes of the movie so that serves basically no discernible purpose in my opinion how about this they take morris and they said we we don't need you with us chances are we're going to get you killed you can go now you're free Tony Slattery turns around and says, all my life, I've been an addict. I've been a fool. I've pandered to other people's expectations. This is the first time I've ever been able to be myself. And then he just walks back into his cell. That's a powerful moment. Yeah. And a great end to the character because he was still funny, but he was, he actually felt quite heartfelt. Like he'd been on this journey and he'd finally found himself with his, with the dippiness of it. That would have been a cool scene, but the whole monkey thing, the monkey on the horse thing, I like that, <laughs> that conversation. And then when he said he was acting, when he was lying down pretending to be dead. <laughs> yeah. I was just, what? Like they, that, that, that made me chuckle, I have yeah, to say. But, but it was so just weird. kind of like, we've, we've, we've carried this guy to the final act and now we need to do something with him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I would have killed him. Yeah, that would have been a, like, kind of a cool... Like a Helm's Deep moment. And, I mean, we're on the final... Let's go to the final act now. That is one of the poorest army versus army battles I have ever seen. There should have been more people on both sides. They should have focused on the battle. Look, Thor Dark World gets criticised a lot, but that opening scene, when you focus in on character versus character it makes it more visceral like the camera was on a wire you never saw anybody die playing it was like the airport battle in civil war in civil war where they were all pulling the punches who was the guy with the machete arm oh i don't know what the, what the character's name is but i know who you're talking about yeah knife hand or something he yeah. was a really shit umbaku yeah, totally and that is the exact look at the black panther end battle perfect you saw the scope of it, the armies battling each other. Zoom into actual people and you can hear them talking and wincing and being killed. That gives it gravitas. Same thing with Infinity War, again, in Wakanda. When he met his wife, 
very performative, but it felt intentionally performative and yep. suspend disbelief. The battle yep. scenes are very performative, very theatrical. What I didn't understand is when Wu seems to give up the Ten Rings a lot of the time, and when I couldn't suspend disbelief, is when the performative nature of it meant that I have the rings, now I'm going to give you the rings back. No, I've got the rings, now you've got the rings. And it just felt, well, now you've got them, stop dancing around and kill him. <laughs> and yeah. another thing Tim another Tim me old mucker they're having this big battle to stop Wenwu getting to the dragon scale cave and they forget about him he's just like just going around the battle got to the dragon cave he's smashing a cave wall with the oh for so long and no one seems to notice yeah no one cares yeah. Until the things are flying out, and then it turns, and then it turns into a kaiju film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did they foreshadow the dragon under the sea? Under the sea, mate. I don't remember. I, I don't remember it. The dragon in the sea. He was unfortunately in a trailer I saw, so I yeah. Was not it was a little bit Deus Ex Machina. It, it was a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. Again, with all the flashbacks, I don't know. Maybe there was just so many. Maybe it was a part when I was actually asleep. But if they'd have told of a great protector, this glorious dragon, you know, a kind of like a watcher thing that only gets yeah. involved when he has to. Shang-Chi goes underneath the water and pleads with him to help them when it's just the little ones. The dragon just goes away because he's like, look, dude, you can deal with this. It's just a few little dragons. But then when the big dragon comes out and it's about to kill everybody, go into the world, and then the dragon comes out because it's like, I should be writing scripts, shouldn't I? <laughs> or maybe I've just seen too many films that I'm just coming up with the most obvious tropes. That's stuff that would get you excited. That's stuff that gets kids excited because they've not learned of the tropes yet. Yeah. It definitely was very, that's a good point. It was very deus ex machina. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, how fortunate there's a giant good dragon here to save you yeah. right? It's like, okay. Yeah. Specifically in that part of China, or does exactly. every does every lake in China have a does right. a have a god from above dragon? Right. What happens if he was having a like a stake? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> nah, I ain't coming out of my cave today. Shanti <laughs> just happens to almost drown right with the dragon. Yeah. Why you always gotta be getting out there with those Americans? Why, why? We were supposed to be staying at home. God damn, it's part of being a dragon, bitch. <laughs> I gotta go out there and save the motherfucking day. <laughs> I did think that the CG for the dragon stuff was actually pretty cool. That the, yeah, really the big good. bad dragon was pretty scary, I thought. Yeah, it was. It really was. It was proper kaiju stuff, wasn't it? Yeah. I was more frightened with that than I was at anything in Godzilla. Yeah. It was terrifying, and the battle was yeah. good as well. I have to say, really good. I felt the the texture on the skin it looked it looked all sort of oily and scaly, like you yeah. could slip and slide down its back. And I liked at the end where like the battle's over and they the dragon lands, and then the, it was Shang Chi. It might have been was Katie on the dragon too. I forget who else was the sister on the dragon at the end. Climb off the dragon's head, and they like step on its eye. And the eye yeah. kind of jiggled a little bit. There's like little textures in there that made it feel yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Xi Ling was so sexy. Yeah. So sexy. So sexy. Although I was a little... <laughs> I, I, thought the, uh, <laughs> I thought the Fight Club thing where, they, where those two fight was a little underwhelming. I didn't love that. It was like the scene in X-Men Apocalypse pushed into Falcon and the Winter Soldier. 
I did dislike it, and I think what I liked about the post-credit scene as well, like the way that Wong's now like a terrestrial Nick Fury now. Nick Fury's up in space, and it feels like he can be the one that, when needed, is going to be the one that's bringing people together. Because he seems pretty important. So if you think like he's been a wizard for a lot longer, hasn't he? Like he's been a sorcerer for a lot longer. That's like three films back to back that he's going to have a part in. Yeah. And I would never have thought Benedict Wong was going to be that. But he's a cool character. Anything with more Wong is right by me. It's so Wong, but it just feels so right. <laughs> yeah, he's cool. I mean, also, he's pretty important in the last scene of Endgame. I mean, the, the final battle, obviously, is critical. Of course he is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah of course he is. Yeah. yeah. He gets everybody together, provide the shield to protect yes. from the big bad battleship firing weapons at them. So it's important. He's a cool thread throughout some of these movies. And he's also a very charming character as well. Very. I'm always happy to see him. Yeah, definitely. It's like when you're at school and you fancy the late, uh, a girl, and when she turns up, like you're meeting some friends and she turns up, you're like, oh, hi. <laughs> right. Oh, hi. <laughs> and then you realise how bad that is because you're going to be completely preoccupied for the rest of bowling. <laughs> like, my enjoyment of this evening is completely in somebody else's hands now. <laughs> oh, she's turned up to snog Mark. Okay, I'm going home. <laughs> But Wong's not going to snog Mark. Wong's not a Mark snogger. It's the best kind of... I was going to say so. It's the best kind of school crush. The one that loves you back. (laughs) So what do you think the rings are doing then? They're sending out a signal, Tim, in the post credit. Yeah, gosh. I I have no idea what they're doing. Do you have, like, any thoughts on that? I have no idea. Uh, It could be a collector-style one down four to go it could be a thanos style all right i'll do it myself or it could be Celestials are coming, aren't they? The Deviant, the signal's going out to the Celestials. I mean, as we said, it's fiction. It would be folly to guess. Anything's yep. possible at this point. Well, one of the things I kind of a criticism, which they may have answered in that after credit scene, was we don't really have any sense of like what really the rings are. We don't really yeah. know anything about them. That helps preserve the mystery of the after credit scene, you know? Mm. As a beacon, it's like, well, we don't know anything about them. It really does preserve the... The mystery and i thought at first like well if it's the legend of the ten rings we don't really know anything about the ten rings anything about the legend of the ten rings after watching this two <laughs> yeah. and a half hour movie we still know nothing about that really yeah uh, they might as well have called it from the book of saw <laughs> yeah. i don't have very much else to say tim is there anything you'd like to add not really really fun to watch but it did drag in certain spots and i think it does really not good. stack up really well to many of the solo MCU movies, but if you just stuck it just in a vacuum, I thought it was a pretty fun movie to watch. I would, I'd agree with you completely. Just fine. Yep. Just fine. That's all it is. It's fine. People universally seem to love it, and I want to know why. I know. What is it that makes people love this film? Um, I think there's a desire to be part of it and for that to feed into whether people like it or not, or how much people like it. Like do I don't, I doubt that fact is going to make a person who didn't like it, like it. But I do think someone who's maybe on the fence or does like it a little bit is going to be more inclined to say they really, really liked it to be part of that sort of zeitgeisty moment. Do you know what I think is going to happen? Everybody that watches it in the first 24 hours, which we did mm-hmm. has a vested interest in going to watch it. 
we'll have a very different picture in two weeks' time when there's been such a rebuttal to it's going to be the first one that flops, not going to go down well in China. Is there a capability through the community to accept that this isn't as good as what they hope for? Well, I'm done if you yeah. are. Yeah. Okay. Well, as always, Tim, that only leaves me one thing to say. We have been, and this is, the end. Bravo. <laughs> How long did that go on for? Was that a long one? It felt, it felt like it went really quickly. <laughs> <laughs>